this time during this pandemic uh, where, you know, the travel industry, unfortunately, um, has taken a real hit. This is the longest that I've been in one place in over a decade. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I spent six weeks in one place. Thanks for tuning in to the Travel Grind podcast, somewhere to talk about not just the places, but also the people in the wide, wide world of travel. I'm Andy Ridgway, and in this episode, I'll be talking about the sometimes mysterious, often misunderstood, but always essential role of the tour manager with Temu Nana, a guy who seems like he was born to travel the world, uh, is one of the finer tour managers I've come across and is just an all-around interesting person. And while the job may go by various names like tour director, tour leader, expedition leader, etc., etc., the tour manager is truly of a singular importance to the success of many, many types of travel, especially when it involves groups of travelers. This is a person who doesn't just hand out name tags and do head counts. It's somebody who needs to draw on a wide range of skills to get the job done, be extremely detail-oriented, be proactive as well as responsive, project confidence, yet stay humble, and on top of everything else, be comfortable speaking in front of large groups of people. Few, if any, do it all better than Temu, who during the course of our conversation touches on how he got into tour managing in the first place, what kind of person it takes to be a tour manager, the preparation he does for a tour, and of course, some things you can never prepare for, and whether it is or isn't a good way to get paid to see the world. I'm very happy to have with me one of my favorite tour managers and one of uh, my favorite people on any tour, I should say. Temu, thanks for being with me today. A great pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It's a thrill to talk. Good, good. And listen, uh, before we get into tour managing, uh, Temu Nana, it, it's, we have to talk about your name. <laughs> this is this is one of those things that uh, you know when it comes up when you come up in the company or or with new uh, employees or with travelers, and we talk about oh well the tour manager is is Temu Nana it's actually Temujin Temujin or Temujin Temujin yeah Na, Temujin Nana and they say wow oh Temujin Nana and I say yeah believe it or not uh, it turns out he's from Michigan. <laughs> you know, I do. I always get a chuckle, and even even out of you. But briefly, just tell us about your name. Yeah, so it's actually generally the first thing that, uh, like you said, it's the first question that comes up whenever I'm on tour and people are are, are introduced. Um, so uh, yeah, my full name is Temujin Kini Nana, um, and my first name Temujin is actually the birth name of Genghis Khan, of all things. So uh, pretty much the <laughs> only really famous Mongolian. Um, but my father is actually from Pakistan. My mother is Canadian. Um, somehow I ended up with uh, Temujin as a first name. I'm pretty sure alcohol was involved at some point in the, uh, <laughs> in the naming process. It usually is. Usually yeah, is. <laughs> exactly. Um, my middle name is actually an Irish name. Is my mom's last name. My mom's family name is Keeney. And Nana is actually just a made-up Pakistani last name. So the, the family's sort of historical name was Ghulam Ali. Um, 
but I had some great grandfather or something whose initials were N.A. Gulamali, and uh, everyone just started calling him Nana, um, and it sort of stuck, and so the family last name changed to Nana, and so I end up with a Mongolian first name, an Irish middle name, and a made-up Pakistani last name, and indeed, I was born in Detroit and raised in Ann Arbor. So go ahead and figure that well, out, because I've been, I've you been were, sorted out for 40 think, years. Yeah, you were... It sounds like you were destined for some sort of international <laughs> existence, right? I mean, it was it was it's baked in. It's baked yeah, in. yeah, from from the get go. All right. Well, we, you know, uh, one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you today and have you uh, on this podcast is uh, you are a tour manager, and we've talked about this before that there isn't a lot of uh, a lot of love out there, or at least a lot of uh, there's there's not a lot of hate. Don't get me wrong, but there's there you know the tour manager profession is just sort of a, it sort of exists in the shadows almost, you know, you don't, people don't talk about it that much. You don't hear about it that much, even in travel uh, literature or in travel media, you know, there's not a lot of tour manager uh, shine. And I don't know if there's a real reason for that. If it's something that's looked down upon by in certain circles or or just a mystery uh, do you get a sense of what of what what's going on there well i think uh, yeah i think you're absolutely right in the sense that a lot of people don't know uh, about the job certainly outside of the industry heck i i barely even knew it was a job until i had it um and, and then within the industry you know i think one of the things that is a contributing factor is that particularly in, in our line of, of what we do in educational travel and, and I do a little bit of photographic travel as well, you know, I think if you're doing your job pretty well, you should be part of the trip, but also very much in the background, right? I mean, I get up, I give briefings every night and I'm the, I'm the person that people turn to when they want to know what's going on and when and logistics and so on and so forth. But if things are going pretty smoothly, Hopefully, in some way, you kind of fade into the background because you certainly don't want to be the focus of the trip in some ways. And so I think that's why at times, you know, the, the people that are, uh, are, are running it and hopefully running it very well uh, sort of fade into the background a little bit. And of course, there is always the element of, you know, particularly in educational travel, the highlights, the people that uh, are there that everyone wants to see are the professors, the speakers, the guides, the special guests you might have. Um, and, and you are in some ways seen as, you know, just kind of the help in that sense. And I don't mean it in a, in a really derogatory sense, but you know, you're, you're there to work and you're there to make sure that exactly that they have a great time. And so, um, you know, in a, in a lot of those situations, you, you get overlooked a little bit, but, um, I certainly don't take anything by it. And I think a lot of people in the travel industry, uh, who are familiar with the travel industry um, do know how how hard the job is and 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 how much work it takes to do it well. And hopefully, if you do do it well, no one's really noticing. So, yeah, interesting. I mean, well, for one thing, I do know of some tour managers. I have experienced some that kind of do like to be the center of attention. But that's that's a that's a different conversation. Yeah, because uh, you're right. I think you're right. That you're you're kind of a facilitator, right? And if you are the main uh, memory that people take back from one of these amazing trips, then you know, that, that means there's something wrong with the trip, right? I mean, it's not, that, that's not what you want for these guests, for these travelers. Yeah. And I think, you know, please don't get me wrong in the sense that I like being up in front of a crowd. I come from a theater background. And so, you know, I enjoy being a part of everything. And I think being a good tour manager or cruise director, expedition leader, or whatever role you're taking can absolutely enhance a trip. Um, but 
you don't want to make yourself the main focus, certainly. And right. I think I think that can be a problem. Sure. I agree. Well, you know, you touched on a couple of things that I want to get into, like talking in front of groups and, and uh, you know, the work that goes into it. But uh, you early on mentioned something that, I mean, you know, this isn't even a, a, a career or a part-time job, you know, that people even think about, that people are even really aware of unless they are taking these trips or involved in the business or know somebody that's doing it. So, I mean, how, how did, how did you fall into it? I mean, you, you weren't setting out to be a tour manager. Did you just, did, did somebody ask you to do it or how did, how did you end up doing it? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I truly, truly just fell into this career. Um, and you know, it turns out as I look back at life that maybe I was training for it my, my whole life without really realizing it. Um, you know, I was, I, I, as I said, I got my degree in theater, um, from the university of Michigan theater in English. Um, and like all theater majors, um, I put on a waiter's apron and moved to New York and, um, I was waiting tables there and didn't really know what I was going to be doing uh, with my life. Really didn't have a whole lot of direction in that sense. Um, and through a chance meeting through my sister, um, uh, she knew somebody who uh, was in the travel industry and they mentioned that they were looking for tour managers. And my sister asked what it was about. And, you know, they said, listen, this is not the kind of job that we advertise for because it's a it's a weird sort of skill set. And if you advertise for it, you'll get 10,000 people applying because they want to yeah. be paid to travel. But most right. people don't really have the skill set to do it and sort of the temperament to do it. And so it's all kind of word of mouth. And she thought I would be good for it. And I put in a call and quite literally, you know, two, three interviews later and two, three weeks later, I was on a plane to Greece. And never really looked back after that. Um, so you saw, you heard weird skill set and you said, that's for me. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and now that I know, now that I know more about it, uh, you know, I, I, it, people say, Oh, well, what do you need to do to be a tour manager? And and the truth is you need to pretty much be able to, to tackle whatever comes up. I mean, it's, there's in terms of a job description, you know, there are the logistics part of it. There's the hosting part of it. There's the organizational part of it, the communication part of it. But then, you know, navigating when problems come up, ships can't get into port, flight cancellations. I mean, the uh, interpersonal problems, um, you know, problems that people bring with them on the trip that you now have to have to sort of deal with. It's a wide range of things. But I do think that somebody who, number one, has a background in service, which I did for a long time. Um, and I, I also was very fortunate for, from a, as a young child to travel quite a lot. It was quite important to my family and, and being an international family. Um, and my father was an airline pilot, so travel was a little bit easier for us um, than, than a lot of other families. Um, you know, I had that sort of a, a skill set in the background, and I really I really warmed to it and, and loved it. And it was uh, and has been an incredible career. Um, so I just got fortunate, really fell into it, didn't even know the job existed until I had it, and then couldn't believe that anybody would actually pay me to do it. So it yeah. was a yeah. well, amazing, happy, uh, happy occurrence. And that's why that's something uh, that I've thought about when wondering why tour managing isn't more of a thing is I feel like people might look at it and say, hey, here's a way that I can get paid to see the world, right? I mean, it's kind of a, people look at that as sort of a modern idea with, uh, you know, sort of this Instagram influencer, you know, these, these travel you know, yeah. social media or blog travel bloggers, right? And right. they get sponsored, and obviously everybody wants to do it. And everybody, you know, you see these beautiful pictures of Thailand and 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 uh, you know Bali and and the you know all around the Mediterranean. People go, oh my gosh, they're living the life. And yeah. I feel like 
I feel like it's been longer uh, for tour managers, but uh, even these days, you would think that people would see it as, well, here's a ticket to the world, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. are getting paid to go on these tours. I mean, depending on what kind of trips, you know, what kind of company you link up with, et cetera, et cetera, right? But I mean, cer- certainly you could have some tour managers that just do the same, you know, uh, Grand Canyon tour every single day and, you know, call themselves a tour manager the same way that sure. somebody like you who does international tours all over the world might do, right? right. But still, there it seems like an attraction. And I get it that if you advertise this as a, you know, in a, in a traditional job posting tour manager needed for international tours that we run, you know, I I can picture people just flocking and, but it's the, the rub is it's real work, right? I mean, you touched on having to have people skills as well as, you know, organizational skills and, and problem solving skills and, and, you know, sort of uh, uh, crisis management, all of these kind of things. Right. I mean, when you're on a tour, how much time do you actually spend, you know, enjoying the destination? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. And of, and of course it depends. And, and just to go back to what you're saying earlier is I think a lot of people, when they hear, oh, you know, get paid to travel, be a tour manager, a lot of people are just looking at this as like, oh, I'm going to get to travel. And yes, you will get to travel and you'll get to see those things, but you're going to work really hard while you're there. And it's not yeah. as if it's a vacation by any means. And it's really important that tour managers know that. Um, you know, because I think some of it, sometimes you do run across somebody who's kind of seems like, oh, this is my chance to see this place. No, it's not your chance to see this place. You happen to be here to help other people see it. Um, and, and so I think it's important for obviously for tour managers to realize that they are, that they are working. Um, you know, the, the great part about being a tour manager is that, um, for most, for most tours that you're going to work on, you are with the clients all the time. So you get to do what they do as opposed to some other roles that you see in travel where, um, you know, you might be crew on a ship, for instance, or, um, you know, traveling by some train or plane or what have you. And, and, and you don't actually get to go out and do the things that the clients get to do. And they get to do a lot of really fun stuff when you're traveling with them. But it's a double-edged sword, of course, because you're with them all the time and you need to take care of them. So when they have these amazing concerts, you know, when we do a private concert in the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, you get to go and enjoy that. But you're working up until the moment that the concert starts. And if anything comes up in the middle of the concert, you've got to go deal with it. And then afterwards, you're right back to working again and having to organize everything. So you get to have those moments. But at the same time, you are working pretty much from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to bed. And then if something comes up in the middle of the night, guess what? You've got to get up and you need to deal with that as well. Um, And again, while you're interacting and enjoying all the things that the clients are doing, you know, there is a, there is a piece of it where, uh, you know, even just at meals, right after a week of being with, with the, the folks pretty much 24 seven, sometimes you just kind of want to have a lunch to yourself and you'd rather, you know, sure. not, not chat through an entire lunch and, and be charming and be on and, and do what you're supposed to do and facilitating everything. Um, and, and, you know, listen, in the grand scheme of things, these are great problems to have. Um, but in the end, uh, you know, work is work to a certain extent. So, you know, when I oftentimes when I come home, 
uh, you know, friends will say, oh, you just got back. You've been away for six weeks. Let's go out and have a night. And I'm like, guys, I just want to sit in a dark room and not be asked any questions for, for about <laughs> 12 hours um, and just kind of recenter. Um, and so, you know, like anything else, there are there are, are drawbacks to it and tough bits to it. But by far, the benefits outweigh any of those things. Um, so you just kind of have to be aware of that going in. Sure. Sure. And I, I mean, it's it's a... I guess it's like any job, right? Where there's ups and there's downs, there's good things and there's bad things. I mean, the goods happen to be a little bit better than your average, uh, you know, pluses for, for many jobs. Right. Sure. But it's, uh, I don't know. I, I can't, it, it, I haven't done an actual, uh, tour management assignment. I've been on plenty of these, uh, types of tours, obviously myself, I've, I've, I've tagged along, mm-hmm. um, and I see the work and, and w- one thing I always wonder about is, you know, how much of it, how, how much do you, do you do a lot of prep work? Uh, you know, with our company, mm-hmm. you know, when we have worked together in the past, because we have, I don't know if we've mentioned that, that we, we have worked together in the past several times, our company and you, yeah. uh, and you know, we try our best to give you plenty of material, plenty of information up front, Uh, and we do what we can to, you know, about the travelers, about the destinations, about the timings and the scheduling and, you know, uh, contacts and connections, all that stuff. Uh, but you know, we can only give you so much that 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 you can use the way you like to use it. Uh, you, do you do a lot of uh, a lot of prep up front, or do you sort of you know see how things play out and you know kind of adjust from there? I, you know, is it it how much prep work do you do? And yeah, I mean, you do mention kind of being the last one to go to bed and the first one up in the morning every day. Yeah, uh, because there's always something to do. But I mean, do you how much? is done up front. I mean, do you, do you know what you're going to be into before you get into it? Yeah, it's a great question. And it, and it really depends. I mean, I've been fortunate to work with some really great companies, including Criterion. Uh, I think I've been with Criterion. I, I think I've started working with you guys about five years ago now. And, you know, the, the, the companies, I've only worked for a few travel companies, um, one of which was not great. Um, all the rest have been really wonderful. And the best ones that I've worked with, the 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 preparation that comes from the team in the office, um, or perhaps some folks that are out scouting ahead of time and sending things back, has been excellent. And it is vital to have that information to be well prepared in terms of information, contacts, explanations behind why things are a certain way, um, hitches that may come up on a certain day, understanding why things are formatted the way that they are in terms of a day or an event or um, how the lectures are going to tie into certain places. Um, And so that sort of preparation is vital and I think comes from mainly from having really great people in an office who are programming, planning, and have been setting up these things. And that's Actually, another point that I think is important is that, you know, all travel companies work a little bit differently. But generally speaking, I think a lot of folks, when they go on educational trips or or group trips like we run uh, anywhere from, you know, 12, 20, up to 100 people, if you're on a ship or something of that nature, I think a lot of times they think that the tour managers have just planned out everything, that, you know, the people that are there were the ones that were scouting all these locations and have put everything together and made all the decisions. And while that is sometimes true and and, and sometimes things are based off of feedback that we have given on, on previous trips, 
oftentimes the tour managers are generally familiar with the destinations, um, but they have not made the itinerary. And so we are given the itinerary and we have to be uh, uh, given background information on, on exactly why decisions were made and so on and so forth. So I think that's just one piece that is, is interesting for some people to know that, you know, we don't design it from the ground up most of the time. Um, and in terms of in terms of preparation, I find for me the greatest preparation comes just in preparing for the day to day stuff. So um, you know, I, I have a notebook that I carry with me all the time, a little moleskin that I'll always have. I can write down timings and notes and what the weather and the guide and how many people I have and that sort of stuff. All the notes that I would keep with me for the day, um, that sort of stuff, I like to prep on my way out to the destination. So I'll spend hours getting through all that, making sure I have all my questions in mind for the first day or two before the trip so that I can get everything set and ready to go. But really, when it comes down to the operation, you just need to wait until these things are ready to go and then prep for what you can on a given day and then react to situations. So um, as long as the prep is there from the office, really, I think it's about preparing yourself so that when things come up, you can react quickly and you have the information with you to to make uh, the appropriate changes. Sure. And a lot of that stuff you discover within the first couple of days, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're, we're not going to talk too much about travelers, I don't think, in this uh, in this conversation. But, you know, there might be certain, uh, you know, people uh, that need or, you know, that, that are going to require a little extra attention or there might be, uh, you know, certain situations that you all of a sudden that you couldn't have prepared for, right? And then do you, is that the kind of thing you note down and... and uh, uh, I mean, the, the, there must be a lot of value in, uh, in just sort of feeling it all out and making the decision after you hit the ground, right? Absolutely. And again, I mean, I think it's vital that, you know, the folks that are taking bookings, right, whether it be our office or the educational or affinity travel group that we happen to be working with, they're pretty good about saying, you know, this person might have a mobility issue, this, this, you know, we have a full list of dietary and, and, um, and medical um, lists so that we know um, um, what people might be bringing with them that might cause complications. But of course, it's not until you get on the ground when you really realize, okay, this person is going to need um, real attention and looking after. They maybe have mobility issues or they, they've come upset because their flight didn't work out the way they wanted to or what have you. Um, you know, again, you're dealing with a, a number of personalities that you all kind of have to juggle and, and put together. And if I've learned anything, um, particularly in dealing with people, is that, um, you know, traveling, particularly getting to and leaving the trip. So come to and leaving from the trip, travel can really change people quite a lot um, in terms of their their mood and their attitudes towards things. So, uh, you know, they might be a little bit more on edge, particularly if they're in a destination that they're not entirely comfortable with. And, and sometimes you have to navigate those things. But hard to prepare for that. You really kind of have to tackle it once you get on the ground and see what you're dealing with. Sure. You have, uh, you know, a playbook or sort of a, a uh, you know, you've been doing it for a while now. Do you do you just sort of have a feel for how to handle a lot of the difficult situations, whether it be an unhappy traveler or just a, maybe not even an unhappy traveler, just a just a difficult traveler, right? Or, or a demanding traveler mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, if a tough situation, there's always some tough situation that comes up, you know, where, you know, some restaurant wasn't prepared you know, for your group to arrive as you would have hoped they would have been or, or, uh, that, that type of thing, or the, you know, your, your admission tickets to the, some event or, or a museum, 
uh, didn't show up or there was some snafu? I mean, do you have sort of a, a, a go-to playbook for that kind of thing? Or is it just, is it completely as needed in that situation, you know, and then just case by case? Uh, a little mix of both, I think, you know, um, they're case by case, certainly because they're obviously unique thing, things that are unique to every situation. But, um, you know, I, I think the, the attitude that sometimes I take to things really depend on what that situation is and what the, what the problem is. I mean, sometimes there are things I'll say overall that for the most part, when you have a tough situation, whether it be a, a person or a situation, like you said, tickets or a restaurant not being ready, um, or even a problem with a flight canceled or, um, you know, a ship not being able to leave port or what, what have you, if they see that you are really working and trying your best to try and solve the situation for them, the vast majority of people understand um, and are appreciative of your efforts on their behalf. Right, and it's sympathetic almost, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Particularly, of course, when it's something that's completely out of your control. I mean, you can't forget that these people are on vacation. They have, generally speaking, paid a lot of money to be on that vacation, have high expectations of it. And so even when things are out of your control and happen, they are disappointed. And they that's that's understandable, of course. Of course. Yep. I think I think where um, where you really have to work very hard is to make sure that all of the things that you can control have been taken care of. And so that's where, again, that prep work and everything else really comes in to make sure that you have called the restaurant 10 or 15 or 20 minutes ahead of time, or you've called your local agency because you're doing something else and made sure that they have sorted out everything so that the restaurant knows you're going to be there in 10 or 15 minutes and and, and you try and solve all of those problems um, before they happen. That being said, it's inevitable that things will come up. And I think you do start to know, particularly with people, you get a chance, you know, I've been doing this now for about 13 years, um, almost full time as a tour manager. And you start to understand almost the first day, the, the attitudes that people are coming with in the first day or two. And, you know, this person's going to take extra attention, but they're not going to be terribly difficult. They just want attention. This one will be difficult uh, and they're super demanding. But if they if their demands are met or they see that you're trying, then they're going to be OK. And then there are some people who really, unfortunately for them, they're just not happy unless they're unhappy. And you encounter right. these people in life. And sometimes you just can't do anything about it. You do the best that you can for them um, and, you know, make sure that they try, don't, don't impact other people's enjoyment of a program. Because I find that those people often, they want to recruit other people into their, into their you know, uh, into their mood. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. You try and minimize that. But you just kind of have to play every situation a little bit differently, understanding that there are some personality types in particular that crop up again and again. And, and you find ways to kind of deal with that. Sure. It is interesting, right? People, you hear about kind of the squeaky wheel, uh, you know, or the, the curmudgeonly, you know, unhappy traveler that is just going to, you know, they arrive on a tour or probably whatever they do in life, right? They arrive exactly. on a tour looking for something to be unhappy about and, and ready to complain about things. But, you know, that, like you said, that those are people that you're going to encounter everywhere in life. And I don't like to dwell on those travelers. I mean, ironically, the sweetest, you know, most favorite people uh, might be a difficult traveler to to be with, right? Or to to travel right. with, they might be very needy or or uh, just uh, have the highest expectations, you know. And like you said, it's not the worst thing. Right. We want them to have high expectations for these programs, but you know, they might take a lot of extra work, and it's uh, I you know, 
like you said, you just have to feel that out, I guess. And yeah. you did touch on something else I had a question about, because this is something I don't know that much about. Mm. You, uh, you say you've been doing this about 13 years or so. Yeah. Uh, almost full time. And, but you, and you're freelance. I mean, is it sort of like an LLC type of thing or is it just a solopreneur or, uh, that, and also, I mean, that, that, and leading into that or after that, you know, are, there are salaried sort of employee tour managers, right? Yeah. Yeah, there are. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of different ways to, to tour manage, um, and different setups. There are absolutely salaried tour managers. Um, I have been freelance and, uh, since almost since the beginning, there was a time when I was working for a company and, and doing partially sales and office work and then also tour managing. And I was salaried at that point, but, um, I, I prefer freelance work because it gives me the opportunity to do different things um, and to work with a few different companies. I, I find that oftentimes, particularly if you're salaried, um, you get you start doing the same trips over and over again, or you kind of get mm-hmm. into a, a rut of doing a, maybe a season in a certain place and this kind of thing. Um, and while on the one hand that breeds, you know, super familiarity and that can be very comforting and make things a little bit easier on you as a tour manager, it's also kind of not what I prefer to do. And I want to have flexibility to kind of move my schedule around and, and take opportunities that come up in, in different places. Um, so and the freelance uh, life is not for everybody, right? And like you said, it's 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 what you prefer. But I feel like a lot of people, like any career, some people don't want to try to start their own business or try to be a freelance anything. They prefer kind of having that that uh, you know, it's nothing is safe and sure, completely sure in this world. But you know, that sort of security of having a job. Oh. And a salary, right? And a consistent income. And and there's definitely something to be said for that. And so there is that option to be a tour manager and do and do it that way. Yeah, there is. There is that option. And I, I mean, I think, you know, uh, most of the people you talk to and you say, oh, I'm a tour manager, a, you know, international tour manager, and I take these trips everywhere. They go, oh, that is amazing. What an incredible job. I wish I could do that. And it is an incredible job. Um, but I also think that they're they're oftentimes not thinking, although some of them that are honest with themselves, you know, immediately kind of go, oh, I'm not sure I could deal with the downsides of that. I mean, you know, in a typical year, I'm probably on the road, let's say four to five months of that time, um, uh, traveling internationally, I'm away from home. This time during this pandemic uh, where, you know, the travel industry, unfortunately, um, has taken a real hit. This is the longest that I've been in one place in over a decade. I mean, I I can't remember the last time I spent six weeks in one place, uh, you know, based in in, in one spot. And so, right. uh, you know, routine is is not something that is a, a function of our life, and that's something that I actually. Th- thrive on is having that change up. Um, but some people don't. And certainly, you know, having to manage your money and not knowing exactly what's going to happen, for instance, you know, something like this, I mean, had a full year of travel planned, and now all of a sudden, there's nothing there. And so, you know, uh, with anything in life, there are pluses and minuses. I, I learned in college, I had an office job. And then I, I sort of uh, took one for a short period of time, as I said, working for a different travel company, working in an office. And I learned then that it didn't matter what the stability 
you know, offered me from a, an office, a salaried position like that, I had no desire to do anything like that. Not um, for you. Yep. It was sure. just not for me. Yeah. I was willing to put up with the ups and downs of, of a freelance life um, in order to, to have the opportunities that I do in order to avoid, uh, you know, sitting behind a desk all day, um, which is just not, not for me. I understand that it's right. for other people, but it's, it's not my, not my cup of tea. But it's good to know you could do it either way. You know, I, I feel like it's yeah. not, uh, it, it, it's sort of unique that way. You know, and I guess there are a lot of uh, creative type of jobs that are like that, where you can you can carve out a living for yourself or, or really thrive uh, doing it on your own or choose to, you know, uh, do it for one company, like you said, or do it in one place for one company and, and uh, have that stability. And I think many people would thrive that way so it's it is interesting it's interesting you can do it both ways and but but you did touch on another thing that i had a question about because and you mentioned a little bit of it very early on about uh, the photo tours but one advantage of being a tour manager at least a freelance tour manager is it leaves you a lot of time uh you know to pursue other things right you can sort of vary uh your 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 interests and and pursue other things I mean, that's got to be a plus. It's got to be a perk of being a freelance tour manager, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think um, having that that time off in between programs, number one, you just recharge yourself, but you you have chance to explore what you love to do. And and as it happens for me, photography is something I really love. And and it's great for me because I also get to do it while I'm on tour. So you have all these right. amazing yes, opportunities yes. To, to photograph while you're there and see these incredible things. And then I come home and I can practice kind of other forms of photography that um, I'm not able to do while I'm on, on tour and, and sort of really dig into that and spend some time. So sure. this kind of a lifestyle, the you know, on off of freelance is something that um, that really appeals to me and, and kind of how I, how I want to set up my life. So, um, awesome. All right. And last question about this, in this, this part, uh, how many countries have you been to? Uh, you, do you get asked that a lot? Yeah, yeah I do. That type of question. Yeah. I, I think I have to go back and, and check. I think I'm up to about 90, maybe 92, somewhere around wow. there, which is frank you know it's amazing in our industry again you 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 your view of what is a large number of company uh, countries visited gets a little bit distorted because you talk to people sure. who've been doing this for 20 or 30 years i don't know that that sounds like you're in the 1% to me it it is listen i mean again you you have to go back to the to the uh, the overall population and yes i mean it is it's pretty amazing and, and you know like i said i was able to do a fair bit of traveling before i became a tour manager um so but i so i would say that i've probably tour managed or led trips to, I would guess about 50 to 60, maybe, maybe 70 countries, and then probably visited an additional 20 to 30, um, on my own, um, either before or, or during my, my tour managing career. And I've been fortunate to, to visit all seven continents, um, uh, multiple times. Um, so it, it is really, uh, it's been an incredible ride. That's fantastic. All right, let's, let's take it. A- Quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about uh, the some of those trips, other trips that you've been taking. Yeah, sure. All right, we're talking uh, with Tamu Nana, the uh, tour manager extraordinaire, <laughs> who I've been fortunate enough to uh, to work with for a couple of years, but. We talked a little bit about tour manager tools of the trade uh, toward the end of our conversation, our last part of our conversation there. But 
one of the tools that people in just about any industry uh, can get behind is caffeine, right? <laughs> Do you are you are you a coffee drinker? I am, I am, yeah. And you know what? Caffeine across every, almost every culture in every place I've been, caffeine factors into life somewhere in some way somehow. Yep. So yep. I think I agree, and that's that's why we have this segment of the podcast, and we take a coffee break. We talk about coffee. Do, are you a uh, you know one cup a day, two cups a day type of guy, or are you as needed? You know, just just sort of refuel. No, no, I'm not. I'm not a throughout the day. Uh, when I when I wake up in the morning or mid morning, if I've been out uh, uh, photographing for much of the night, um, then I normally have a double espresso. I basically make myself a latte, double espresso, warm milk, um, and have have one nice big latte in the in the beginning of the day, and that's uh, or a cafe au lait, I suppose, and uh, and that's mm-hmm. it for me for the day. Not bad. Do you do you just you get the grocery store beans and and are happy with that type of thing, or or is it do you are you sort of a uh, a connoisseur? No, I am not a connoisseur. I do. I have a little Italian espresso maker, so a two cup. You know, one of the the little ones. You just put the water in the bottom, and you you know you fill in the little filter in the middle, and then and then put it on the the stove, and it, it makes your coffee for you in what five nice. minutes, not not even. So mm-hmm. um, I yeah. don't have the pod machines or anything like that. Just get ground espresso and and make myself a little double shot in the morning, and and uh, and, and have is it the the percolator. Is that it? The the little stovetop percolator thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh and yeah, those they, are great. Love they, them. The big ones or the little tiny ones, yeah, exactly. I think I think that's exactly. I just always known as an Italian espresso sort of machine. Yes, but, but not love it, love it. it. And and coffee, yes. And is it? Do you have any? This might be a, a shot in the dark, but do you have any sort of experiences, coffee experiences, as you've been on the road? Uh, you know, coffee, caffeine, whether it's tea or coffee, is like you said, is is ubiquitous. Everywhere you go, yeah, uh, it's there. And uh, I guess not every single person is is, is drinking it all the time. But I mean, it's, it's part of just about every culture that I can think of most of them. You know, I've had so many great experiences, whether it's, you know, seeing the, the, the sort of serenity and the beauty of the green tea matcha ceremonies in Japan, um, the yak's milk tea in, you know, Bhutan, Tibet, and some of these places, uh, it really is, it's, it's culturally fantastic to have those experiences, even though, again, for me, um, you know, caffeine isn't a huge part of my life, but I, I certainly respect it from the from the cultural standpoint of it, and I've really enjoyed those experiences I've had around the world. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, now you've got me wanting to uh, to dust off my old percolator right? because <laughs> I, I have to admit, it's for me, it's it's a daily, you know, drip coffee maker. My Ooh. wife and I, you know, we we set it. I, I set it every night, and it's there in the morning, and and uh, I always sort of dream about about better coffee, but you know, it gets the job done. All right. I was just, I was just going to say quickly, it is amazing to me how much coffee culture has, has become like the wine culture that I kind of grew up with, right? Like wine was always this thing of the, you know, the grapes and the, there was a whole culture behind it. And now coffee has really taken off in that way. And the people that really get into coffee seriously, um, you know, I just don't have a sophisticated enough taste for that. Um, and I've never (laughs) loved drip coffee. So, um, so I've never gotten that deeply into it, but I, I, that's true for me too. And that's, that goes for me for wine as well. Okay. <laughs> um, and I have to say here too, and I won't go too much into this, but surprisingly, some of the best coffee I've had, and this is what taught me about, you know, coffee in America, especially, 
and you talk about Nescafe in Greece. Uh, one thing I know I have noticed about visiting Italy is there's no reason to have a bad coffee in Italy. Yeah, because I've had I have had a better coffee at the at the roadside, you know, the the uh, the auto grill. Yeah, that you're forced to stop at on the Autostrada in in Italy. I've had a better little ca- cappuccino there than any cup of coffee I've had at any place in the United States. And so, uh, <laughs> it's uh, I I've, I think I've sort of talked myself into not being that interested in good coffee here. Maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah, you might you you might be right. I mean, I I I don't go I don't go too far and wide here to search for great coffee, but I will say that the average roadside coffee pretty much anywhere in Europe, particularly in Italy, the Autostrada, the Auto Grills and the Autostrada, I mean that it's just spectacular and the food as well is really I Absolutely. mean really pretty good. Or that we're getting into a whole nother podcast here, so. <laughs> yeah. All right. So tell me tell me before I let you go, I have yeah. to uh, hear a couple of things from you. Uh, we have this little segment called Off the Beaten Path and On the Beaten Path, right? right? Where we we like to know, first of all, about a place you've been that you can't believe more people don't go. The, is there some place or some destination, even you know, in a popular country, maybe a town or a city, some place that you can't believe more people don't know about or don't visit? Uh, yeah, you know... Um... I, I don't have a I, I don't have a place in mind in terms of a city necessarily um, that I think it, it, more people should see. I think there are some regions that I would point out or areas that um, I, you know I think some people don't think about as travel destinations and really should. Um, mm-hmm. For me, uh, a couple places really stand out. Number one, I realize this is becoming a much more popular destination and it's also difficult to get to, but Antarctica is one of the most spectacular places I have ever seen in my life. Um, And I think a lot of people think, well, if you're not into wildlife, you don't like penguins, blah, 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 why would you go? Um, There is history down there. You get to go see the old whaling stations, learn a lot about the age of exploration. The landscapes are absolutely out of this world. Um, The wildlife is pretty incredible if you like the wildlife. And the thing that I find more than anything is when you ask fellow travelers um, where their favorite places is to go, uh, their favorite place is that they've been, honestly, over 50% of the people say Antarctica um, of the folks that I talk to. And, And oftentimes they are the spouse that has been dragged there not wanting to go. And they still say that it's one of the best places they've ever been. So that is one that I would certainly consider for people as long as you do it responsibly and ethically. And, and, you know, I think in the right way. Um, Right. That's important because it is getting, or it it had been getting much more popular and much more available, right? More ships were starting to creep down there. And, and uh, I saw, you know, it has to be a certain size, but, but uh, there were more smaller ships that were that, that fit the criteria that we're able to go and we're going. Yeah. And, and it, it is something that I do say with a little bit of hesitation because it's a place that is so beautiful that we, we, you know, we're already starting to see the impact of travel and sure. uh, we want to make sure that the companies who are going down there and, and by and large, I think they're all pretty good. I think where you're starting to see a really big impact is the, the, the super large ships that are going down, um, mm-hmm. you know, and bringing a thousand or 2000 people with them. Uh, that can be really difficult, even though you're not allowed to have more than a hundred people on the, on the continent 
at any one time. So right, right. Um, as long as I think people do it well and the companies that are down there are, are working with the, the treaty organization to make sure that hopefully that, that things go well, it can be enjoyed responsibly. Fabulous. Yeah. Now, now we're going to sort of flip this upside down and now we, we're going to look at on the beaten path. This yeah. is one that I'm really interested in because what I, it's sort of like a hit, another hidden gem type of thing. Do you have anything uh, on the beaten path, a popular destination that, uh, that you think is overlooked or that people should pay more attention to? Um, yeah, you know, I was, I, I was thinking about this. I, I, again, I have trouble sort of saying once, once, you know, particular spot, one restaurant, That's one fine. museum, something of that nature. I, I would sort of say that I think one one thing I see, uh, you know, uh, the Greek islands are a huge destination for a lot of people, um, and rightfully so because they are uh, stunningly beautiful. Um, however, I see a lot of people that sort of go to Mykonos, go to Santorini, and they they've kind of done the Greek islands, and and right. you know, okay, um, take a selfie. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You know, I, I don't want to poo-poo that. I and I, I also don't want to sound like the super snobbish traveler that oh, of course, no, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Yeah, yeah, they are beautiful, and there's a reason why people go there um, because you know, they are stunning. Um, I, I would say one of my big suggestions would be to 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 visit some of the smaller islands in the Mediterranean in general um, and in the Aegean in, in particular. Um, so. Um, so some of the, you know, um, uh, Folegandros and, and Paros and Antiperos, um, and I mean, there are so many Greek islands that have so many beautiful places and somewhere where you can really get a feeling for the place um, and not necessarily be with the large crowds. Um, so I would say some of the smaller Greek islands uh, in the Aegean, and I'm going to sneak in a second one as well, although in the same oh. area, um, you know, Corsica, Sardinia, any of the islands um, that are a little bit less visited in um, in the Mediterranean in general. Also, I think wonderful mixes of culture, um, um, and uh, and they're part of France, part of Italy, and yet no one really kind of kind of goes to to, to see those places. So, in a sense, on the beaten path because they're part of countries that we we visit a lot, but not necessarily places within those countries that people uh, see uh, all that much. I love it. I love it. And the, the smaller Greek islands, I'm I'm totally with you on that. Uh, and also, I could I could add, you know, the Peloponnese Peninsula. Yes. Right where you know Olympia, and you know there are some some all-time classic places, but there are, there are little corners and pockets where travelers don't generally go. And, uh, they are amazing. They are amazing in those islands. And I'll tell you what, all of those islands and any of those little, uh, towns, uh, along the coast in Greece, you can get Nescafe there just like you can anywhere else in Greece. Right? <laughs> very so true. And, and some very yeah. fine ouzo as well. And, uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Listen, uh, we'll we'll wrap it up, but I want to give you the final word. You talked about uh, photography and photography tours, and that's something else you do, right? Tell me tell me about that before we go. Yeah, so um, uh, I do a little bit of educational traveling as well, educational tours like I do with Criterion Travel um, and and working with the alumni groups. But the other sort of half of work that I do is with a small photo travel company called Open Sky Expeditions. Um, you can find us at openskyexpeditions.com. Um, and we take small groups of photographers, um, 8 to 12 people or so, to various places around the world, um, focusing on all kinds of different photography, normally with a photo pro there as well. Um, 
and a photographic tour manager uh, like me. Um, everything from night photography to cultural wildlife, the Northern Lights, um, um, Antarctica, North Africa, Southern Africa, all over the place. Um, and it, it's it's a it's a learning. Um, sort of a voyage in that sense, where you're 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 gaining photography skills and still sort of a full-fledged cultural tour, as well. Um, and so that's something that I do. The other half of my my travel year, when I'm not doing educational travel, is uh, is is photo work. And if you'd like to see some of the photos um, from some of those trips, as well as my passion, which is astrophotography. I do a lot of deep space astrophotography of nebula and galaxies and various other things. Uh, my website is TKNANA Photo, so T-K-N-A-N-A photo.com. Um, you can check out some of the images from, again, those travel destinations, uh, as well as the deep space stuff. And um, of course, I'm also on Instagram at TKNANA Photo. So um, check out any of those. You can also uh, find out some information about our travel company, um, a photo travel company through those, uh, those avenues as well. Open sky expeditions, right? Yeah. And listen, you, the, the astrophotography is amazing. You, I've seen some of your photos. I've seen them on Instagram. I've, they're, they're complete. I can't even wrap my head around how you do it. <laughs> but you don't bring a telescope with you on these open sky, uh, you know, on these photo tours, right? These are, these are more, t- uh, earth, you know, terrestrial type of, uh, photos yeah. that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I, 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 what I want to ha- do is have you back for another episode to talk about photo tours and, uh, you know, photography and travel, because I think that's, I'd love to talk to you about that on a on a later episode if you if you're down if you're if you're up for it. I I would be up to talk whenever and about whatever, but I love talking about photography and travel. So by all means, I'd be happy to come back. Fantastic, Temu. Thank you so much for coming in talking about tour managing the 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 unsung heroes <laughs> of these uh, of this group travel world that we operate in, uh, and uh, given given a little extra shine. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully the word will get out and, and you'll get some extra kudos uh, on your next trip or two, at least, at least your next one trip. At least the next one trip. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It won't last too long, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> right. thanks, thanks so much, Andy. It was a, a great pleasure speaking with you. And uh, thanks all for, uh, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, Tim. All right. Take care. The Travel Grind podcast is brought to you by Criterion Travel a specialty tour operator that works with affinity organizations to develop and run expert-led educational group tours all over the world for travelers interested in diving deeper than the average tourist. To find out more, visit them online at CriterionTravel.com. And for more episodes and other goodies, find us on the web at TravelGrind.show or using the social media handle TravelGrindShow. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.